podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Cricket is back and in full swing. William Hill is the place to be for cricket punters this year with a suite of offers across all formats of the game, domestically and internationally. Check out all William Hill's in-play offers, along with all the latest odds and promotions at williamhill.com or on the free app. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. Hello, welcome to Middle Please Umpire. My name is Miles Jupp and uh, I am joined as ever by Ashes winner, World Cup winner, uh, Toby Jug enthusiast, custard gremlin. It's Mark Wood. Hello, Mark. Hello, Mr Jupp. How are you? Yeah, very well, actually, all things considered. I do like custard. Yeah, well, I could sense that. Banana and custard, maybe chocolate cake and custard, apple crumble and custard. I mean, the list goes on. But the the thing that stays throughout is custard. Is you like custard? Yeah, I mean that's that's one of life's permanent fixtures. I was also going to call you, and this is just again, again, I've 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 had one meal with you in my life, so I don't really, you know, I can't read too much into that. But I was going to call you a carvery bully. <laughs> I reckon you're one of those people that when you go to a carvery, I mean, it you take no prisoners. If you're if you're there, if you've paid for the full carvery, you're not just getting you know one or two things. You're piling the whole plate on, aren't you? Extra lashings of gravy. Is this from your sort of your movie and acting background? Are you just are you plucking up things from you know the stage? If I was cast as Mark Wood in a film, what are the sort of key components of his character that I would latch onto to sort of really give a rendering? And I so normally as a, you know, all actors, you know, Alec Guinness, it used to be about the glasses or whatever. Like Hugh Laurie said, he couldn't find a house until he found the right walking stick. I always think I wonder how they behave in a carvery. <laughs> and and then and then once I've got that, I get a very sort of very very strong sense, and that's how a lot a trio of trio of meats. Obviously, I'm not just going for one. I want all. Of them. Yeah, yeah. I reckon. I reckon he goes up once and just has stuffing. <laughs> just, it's just stuffing. Uh, plus plus gravy on the side. Um, I've uh, I've been doing some gardening recently, Mark. Do you garden? Uh, no. No, not at all. You've got a mower, though. I know this about cut you. The, cut the grass. Uh, that's about it. Well, I've, uh, I'm, I'm way behind you in that. I've, we have quite a lot of bare patches on the lawn, so um, I've, uh, I've reseeded lots of chunks and then fed it a few times. And I go, I haven't got a spring. I'd like to get a proper sprinkler. Have you, have you put loam on and have you ruled it after? I'm assuming you're talking about preparing a wicket for your garden here. Uh, yeah, essentially, yeah. We've got to get planning permission for the stands and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. We want a sort of members area. It'd be nice to have a sort of fixed barbecue for uh, after fixtures. No, mm. uh, it's it's a very it's a normal garden in which. But I, I, I my my neighbours have got a sprinkler, and I envy them because I literally stand there holding this hose and just sort of wave it about, and then to get it a bit further, I put my thumb over the end and just <laughs> sort of um, spurt it about. When they they plant in their lawn. I don't know, last year or something, and they had this sprinkler on, and just one day some water was coming over the wall at a particular point, and the cat uh, saw it and went and drank the water. And ever since then, when it's a hot day, our cat goes and stands at the same point under the wall, thinking, I'm sure this is where the water came over the wall that time. And it's never happened since, sadly. Uh, and I can't, and I've put hours into it, I cannot persuade her that perhaps those days are over. It's hard for any of us to accept that our best days are over. But I have to say there's not, you know, I'm afraid this fun but unconventional way of uh, finding water to drink, is that's, that's, that's no longer part of your life. You've just got to get in the kitchen and uh, drink it out of a bowl like the rest of us. 
<laughs> lost it. Me, mate, honestly. You know what you need back in your life? You need club cricket. We've got club cricket coming up, haven't we? Well, I've, I've had a net. And how did you get on? I did all right. I bowled very badly. I was sort of trying to bowl off spin. I'm trying to do a thing where I'm trying to have, like, get the arm over twice or once or twice before delivering the ball in a sense. Ah, to, the old double world. To do a sort of sighter, yeah. Um, which worked, I don't know, about 50% of the time. I batted uh, quite badly, which I was happy with, actually. Out, out of 10? Out of 10? Oh, four or five. Well, of course, both both of them used to hate batting in nets, and I, you know, that's that, that that's something we have in common, I suppose. I, but I do. I've been backing away to leg. I don't know if my I don't know if my fundamental techniques have been slightly compromised by my white ball success. But I do find that I'm not really. I don't really get behind the line of the the ball. So you've got dreadful. a new trigger, is what you're telling us. Well, no, I'm just learning more about my failings. That my leg, my <coughs> leg side, unbelievable weakness. I, and it, a ball on my hip. It's almost like I can't. I can't see it. Uh, some a dreadful sort of bit of rank filth on the leg side. I would I would be doing really well to even tuck it away for a single. But a straight a straight ball on or a ball on off stump. Say I'm quite happy, just sort of spanking it square. I suppose. But I hit my friend got hit in the face. I I hit one uppishly. It bounced off the metal upright and just whacked into him on his. Um, oh yeah, they can be lethal than that. I mean, I was I was to be honest. I don't know if this is a strength or a weakness of my character, but I was far more shaken by the incident than he was. He was like, "Don't worry about that." But he's like this big line across his nose and blood pouring down it. But uh, it felt like a start, you know, just to get out in the nets. I would love to have a slip cradle in the garden. I could, yeah, pass... or you could just skim them off the the roller. Have you got like a ro- uh... We don't, we don't have a heavy roller for our garden. No, that would be. That... You see, you need it. You need to invest. I there is not. It doesn't. It doesn't. I don't sort of have a garden that justifies having my own heavy roller. Uh, <laughs> uh, sad, sadly. Um, um, maybe these, maybe those days are, are still to come. But it was really nice to pull the kit on and, and just get out there and have a bit of a swing. I'll be doing a bit of coaching this summer. Are you what kind of coach are you? Yes, and are you a positive feedback coach, or are you yeah, right in his face? That's how you learn. Throw him in the deep end. Well, it's going to be like at that sort of early skills level. So it's almost like just doing little bits of shuttle runs and stuff like like that. I don't, have you been to an all stars? <laughs> have you been to an all stars cricket session, Mark? Have you done? I have. I've done a couple myself. So it's that actually, sort of good. thing, and then maybe like a little match towards the end of the session. Uh, I, I hopefully I'll try and be in, encouraging. Um, I don't want to bring in my sort of natural miserable. Well, we got through it, didn't we? That was an hour. Somehow it passed, as one applies to sort of lots of family activities. Uh, so no, hopefully I'll be sort of up, upbeat. And really, really, Mark, it's a, it's a chance for me just to put back something into this wonderful game that's given me so much. Um, <laughs> and and left-hander. My son, my eldest son's a left-hander. Yeah. So if if you're saying, I mean, it's early stages, but if you're saying, who could he develop into? Are we talking like a side Anwar? Are we talking a Triscothic Strauss? Are we uh, maybe a DIG? Uh, a DIG, quite possibly. Yeah. Well, what about a Hayden down the wicket, brute force? He does love absolutely sort of blazing it through mid wicket. So I, I mean, it could be a sort of Moen Ali figure. One of one of my sons. I did. He went. He just. He just likes defending it. So we call him. Um, well, I'm sure you can guess. We we call him Athers when we're playing garden cricket. And he, I said it's fine to just go out there and just stay in. You don't let let the other score runs. I always say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've said this before, but the two bits of advice I've got with one of them was off my granddad, which was if you keep the ball on the bottom, you can never get caught. Lovely. Which is obviously sound. 
And the other one was from a coach at Ashington. Uh, well, he wasn't a coach. He's a coach now, but at the time he was a senior player. And he said, um, I think you're trying to bowl too fast. <laughs> Which, if I'd listened to that advice, um, maybe my career would have been very different. Was it deliver- advice delivered in any sort of context? Was he saying, like, next year, maybe push a bit harder, just go through the gears a bit more gradually? No, I think he was trying to tell me. Uh, he-, he watched me bowl, and I'd gone for maybe four or five runs and over in a club game. And uh, he said, I think you're trying to bowl too fast. But it was just at that time where you're a kid. So it's like maybe 16, 17. And I just started to to have this ability to bowl fast. I was more of a little swing bowler. And as soon as you get a new toy or a new thing, you just that's all you want to do. So I was just trying to bowl fast. But because I was a little bit wayward, he was saying, oh, you need to rein it in a bit and, and just slow down and go back to being a swinger. But I wasn't having any of it by that point. I was like, no, I want to bowl fast. That's it. So It's good, isn't it? You remember the good advice and the bad advice as well. Well, often when you meet people, I mean, everybody listening will, will know this. When when they meet someone, um, a cricketer or, you know, someone, a coach or whatever, sometimes you, you have to filter out nine bits of information to get that one golden sort of nugget where you think that could really help me. But obviously, as a young kid, you've got to learn the 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 foundations and the fundamentals and get that right. But learn what works for you and what doesn't as you get older, I think is an important part of maturing and becoming a better player. And the English game is also in, in a place where, you know, some of our greatest players of recent years are people that have, have had to recover from coaching effectively. Well, Malinga would never have played for England, would he? Let's let's be honest. That would have been coached out to him within... The, the right and he learned that because he was from a beat. Yeah, he was a beach beach town lad. He lived in a beach in Sri Lanka. And the only way that he could get the ball to, to get people out was to skim it across the wet sand. So that's how he learned to bowl like that. But if that was in England, it would be, oh, no, you need to get your left leg higher. You need to get your arm higher. You need to drive through like this. And yet you're coached in a way that's almost stereotypical English. I mean, people think you're, you're skiddy, but he, he, must deliver, he must be delivering the ball like a foot lower than you, probably. Yeah. He's um, and as well, he's never not going to get LBWs, is he? Because he's almost in line stump to stump. When are you next playing? When are you next out on the field? Then so I have a little bit of time off, some time with the family and stuff, and then build back into it. So probably um, I've got this month of April off, and I'll be back into it with Durham in May. In terms of the sort of fitness that you're carrying around with you when you're not playing, and what you think of as time off, how much training are you actually doing when your time? In what you think of as downtime, so I had five. I had five days off after the flight, and you really didn't do anything then. No, a couple of days to get over jet lag um, and just some time with, with my family. Then this week, as it started, I've done weights in the garage and sprinted. Today, that was yesterday. Today, I've done interval training, so minute on thirty off ten times. Um, it, above, you've got to try and keep seventeen k's an hour. Although it was very hard today because it was cold. So as soon as I hit. Anywhere that I was behind a bush, the wind hit us and I dropped about twenty, about ten k. So that's just out running in the, running in the street. Yeah, so just running uh, around near where I live. I have two weeks of this, then build up my bowling from like sort of a half run and in, back into my full run. It's it's sort of like if you tr- it's, imagine people are lifting weights, and I said to you, lift. I don't know. Let's just pluck anything. Hundred kilos. You wouldn't just go to into the gym and lift 100 kilos you'd lift 10 20 30 40 and build up to 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 it and then by week sort of two or three you'd be at 100 kilos so um it's the same with your ball and you do i do half run 
maybe it's some targets and things like that. Then I'll build back my full run. Then it'll be full run with targets. Then it'll be full run at a batsman. Then it'll be double spells. So can I do five overs backed up to another five overs? Which sounds very specific, but that's the way that's worked for me. Like some people just want to just bowl. like you'll never hear Stokesy doing that. Stokesy will want to just bowl. So he doesn't care how many overs it is. It's until it feels right for him. Whereas because I've got a bit of an injury record, mine is the ACB have done so much footage, which is why we wear those bras and the GPS and stuff like that. Is because they know if you bowl in a certain amount. So for example, when I first come back to bowling, that is my danger bit because that's when I get injured. The bit where I'm into my ball and I've bowled a lot of overs is not is generally a bit better for me because I've got that under my belt. Whereas when I'm trying to bowl fast straight away, I need to build it up to make sure I don't get injured in specific overs. So if I can get 20 overs a week, then 30 overs a week, then 40 overs a week is much better than the Stokesy method of I'll just bowl until I'm tired. But that, that specifically works for me, whereas that specifically works for him. Well, that's yeah. I suppose at uh, very very different levels, we're following similar um, training programs. Now, um, I'm going to go to the um, mailbag now, if that's all right with you. Um, is that all right? Is that all right with you? Firstly, by all means, yes. Put out a question <laughs> a few weeks ago about uh, seeing pe- um, seeing cricketers in petrol stations. Um, this was off the back of um, my, my, my encounter with Joe Root at the Euro Garage uh, that. Left marker, I mean, absolutely transfixed. He'd finally sort of seen another side to the guy, I guess. Uh, in our in our continuing series of cricketers spotted at petrol stations, uh, Akish Kakar, I bumped into the whole Indian team at a service station on the M40 uh, a day after a World Cup match in 2019. I was in a group of six guys, with a few of them not knowing about cricket. One friend inquired who all these blokes are with matching tracksuits on. As I've turned around, I've seen the amazing sight of Dhoni, Kohli, Jadeja and Dawan uh, all queuing up for Nando's in the services. After a few pics with Virat and friends, I asked Jadeja what he was having, and he simply said, something with spice. Not sure he knew the finer points of the Nando's spice girl, to be honest. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm going to send pictures there. Um, I'm more of a lemon and herb man myself. What about you, Miles? Uh, I go medium, I have to say. Uh, what do you have as your, um, as your sides? Sp- spicy rice. Oh. No, 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 no. And, uh, or I've gone maybe, if I was treating myself, I'd gone chips with a peri salt. Blimey. Uh, I always, always just two, two corn cobs. Oh, I lo- yeah, they, that's got to be a side. The corn on the cob is amazing. That, that's that and the, is it ratatouille? That's all right now. Yeah. And those sort of very kind of dusty, spicy, um, cashews sometimes. I, I tend to do overdo it a bit on them. Right, so uh, the Indian team at Nando's in uh, on the M40. Uh, M40 is a big old road. That could be anywhere. Could be uh, mm. is Beaconsfield. Is that on the M40? That's the one it used to. I don't know about these days. I mean, it used to have a patisserie Valerie mark. It was absolutely red rag to a bull. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Clark. I had a good sighting at a petrol station back in 1995. This is my era. Myself and a couple of friends had recently finished our first year at university and decided to go for a day out at Alton Towers at the end of August. We'd spent the previous day watching the climax of the series between England and the West Indies. Ads had I. It was finally balanced at two all with one test drawn, so it came down to that sixth and final test at the Oval. On that final day, Captain Michael Atherton anchored the innings with a brilliant 95 off 269 balls, resulting in the match being drawn and England denying West Indies the series win, which definitely felt like a victory for us back then. 
Anyway, we set out for the potteries from Reading early the following day and eventually stopped to get petrol somewhere in the Midlands. After we'd paid and were about to leave, who did we spot sat in a car but Athers himself, who must have been making his way back to Lancashire from London. Not only did he look very happy, but he was reading Britain's most popular tabloid newspaper, which included a full-page picture of himself on the back cover. Sadly, this was well before the days of phone cameras, but I often conjure up that very image in my mind. Well, that is... From my point of view, that is that is the greatest spot so mm. far. Uh, but like Matthew Clark, I was also at the Oval that day watching Athers get 95, and then he, I think, got caught down the leg side, as is often the way. Ronald Harris, uh, whilst my sighting was not a cricketer actually in a petrol station... Right, OK, well, people aren't taking the rules seriously. I have to wonder why we do this sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, whilst my sighting was not a cricketer actually in a petrol station, I believed it worthy of inclusion, having almost knocked over a cricket legend as I exited the BP on the St John's Wood Road after a day at Lord's in the 1990s. Who was it who hurriedly scampering along to beat the crowds almost wandered fatefully into my path? None other than Sir Geoffrey Boycott. Having narrowly avoided finding him on my bonnet, Sir Geoffrey continued running, only pausing to briefly turn and deservedly offer a wagging fist in my direction for our near miss. It was the kind of gesture I imagined he reserved for anyone who had run him out, and despite apologising for my lack of driving skills, I remember feeling strangely excited that I had incurred the famous wrath of Boycott. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like him at all, does it? No, that's very strange. Also, best and worst moments watching England. Uh, this is from James Shuttleworth. As a squat little 11-year-old, I was taken to see England versus West Indies at Old Trafford in 2004 by my dad. My very first test match, and I was lucky enough to be seated on the front row of the pavilion stand for two of the days. My highlight was seeing Andrew Flintoff bowl the great Brian Lara when he was just shy of 10,000 runs. My dad then pointed to an older gentleman and told me to get his autograph. The gentleman happened to be Mr Dickie Bird. As for my worst moment, as aforementioned, we were seated on the front row. One of the West Indian batsmen struck a four to the pavilion. My dad picked up the ball and passed it to me to throw back to the nearest fielder. Now, Dad had a penchant for packing a good picnic for cricket trips, and so at that precise time I had about 75% of a tomato in my stronger left hand. <laughs> Having then taken receipt of the match ball for one moment, I had a tomato in my left hand and the England versus West Indies match ball in my right <laughs> I spared my worst blushes by managing to throw the match ball back onto the pitch rather than the tomato, but it dropped woefully short of the young James Anderson. Whatever happened to him? To my embarrassment, the TV highlights that evening showed Anderson leaning over to pick up my rather <laughs> feeble this throw. Bugger. Uh, well, thank you very much indeed, James, and thank you to Ronald, uh, Matthew and Akish. Uh, and I'm glad. I mean, do keep any, any other uh, sightings of cricketers at petrol stations. Uh, just to help us build up this picture of what it's really... Out like there, help us try and make some coincidences, uh, make some connections, rule out any coincidences and um, work out what we can about this. Uh, I mean, have you, for instance, uh, seen, um, oh, I don't know, James Vince uh, at uh, T-Bay Services? Uh, have you seen Mark Wood uh, stocking up on um, oh, Monster Munch, perhaps, at, uh, at South Mims? Uh, all of these exciting spots lie ahead of us. Right, Miles, I think it's time to introduce this week's guest. Be honestly mad not to. Yeah, well, I'm assuming that the reason that he's coming on is because there's some exciting news that you want to give us. I, do you know what? I would love to work with or for this, this person. A queen and country? I can see it now. The name's Jupp. Miles Jupp. That is a very, very good impression. Can, can you try it now? Just give, just give me a little. Uh, it's just not really the. I just don't. I don't have that. I don't have that sort of suaveness. Come on, Miles. If if I bring them on, you're gonna have to get into. Yeah. Socially, I normally have to say my name at least twice. Mm. Hello, Miles. Sorry, <laughs> uh, Miles. <laughs> Mark. Sorry? Miles. 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 
Sorry, what is your name? My, so, I used to turn uh, up. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was a time in my life when I'd turn up to restaurants and I'd say, I, I booked a table on the name Jup, and they'd say, We've got a table for Yup. And I was going, All oh, right, it's Jup. And it took me a long time to realize I would say on the phone, uh, We've got a table four or whatever. Yes, we do. What's the name? Jup. And they go, Jup. And I go, Yup. <laughs> and, then, and that's what will get written down, hopeless. Um, nice. Anyway, our guest today, uh, very good cricketer, apparently, uh, definitely an extremely good uh, director of both stage and screen. It is Sam Mendes. I'd just like to take a moment to thank our founding sponsors, Cricketers Gin. Cricketers Gin is the perfect podcast partner, as this corker of a gin began its innings at the local village cricket club in Pinkney's Green, Berkshire. Over a G&T, the founders decided that this quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance, deserved a bespoke gin of its own. Cricketers features milk thistle, wild marjoram and blackberries, amongst other botanicals, delivering a smooth juniper-forward gin. If pink is your preference, they also have a delicious raspberry-distilled pink gin. Please take a look at their website, cricketersgin.com, where you'll find a range of gin hampers too. Apply the code CRICKET and you'll receive a discount off your purchases. Cricketers, a small batch gin and a family-owned business. William Hill's Safer Gambling Tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders, and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Just for the benefit of context, this conversation with Sam Mendes was recorded back in March, just after England's Test Series against India had finished and before the One Day Internationals and the T20s. Um, Sam was in England, I was in Wales, Mark was still out in India. Uh, Hope you enjoy it. So I am here in Ahmedabad. Firstly, have you ever been to Ahmedabad? Have you done anything in India before? Strangely, I have been to Ahmedabad because... We scouted for Skyfall in Ahmedabad. We were looking for, I mean, at that point, we, we had decided we were going to shoot the opening sequence in Mumbai. But I, I knew that um, we wanted this action sequence where he got on top of the train. If you remember, if you've seen Skyfall, there's a sequence where he, he jumps off his motorbike onto a train. So we were looking for a, a bridge over a railway and our scouts had scouted the whole of India and said there's one that's about the right scale in Ahmedabad so that's where we went so I was there for a whole night and I scouted I walked up and down a lot of railway track I I went on a railway bridge and got back on a plane again that's the weird nature of scouting in in foreign countries uh, which we did obviously a lot for Bond is you don't really see everyone goes oh it must be marvellous it's sort of glamorous sort of grown-up version of backpacking you know you get to go (laughs) But the truth is, you see a very, very specific thing, and then you get back on the, you know, on the van again. So I've never, but but I did when we. I've, I've been a fair amount to India. I actually toured India as a cricketer. I put heavy inverted commas around that with Harold Pinter's team, the Gaieties, in nineteen ninety seven, maybe ninety eight, and uh, we had a tremendous tour. We didn't play very very well, but um, I think we won our first game, and I'll leave the rest. Uh, a silence, but Eng- English ha- England have a habit of doing that in. Uh, yeah, in exactly. India, I yeah. think it sounds familiar. That <laughs> I was the Joe Root of the game. I scored months of the first game. That was it. Uh, and I was, I remember that tour a because I I loved it so much, but b also because I got knocked off a rickshaw in Jaipur by a tearaway cab driver. I got caught in a rickshaw war, Mark. 
is what happened to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm obviously talking it up a bit here, so it sounds a little bit more dramatic. What happened was my rickshaw driver apparently was in the wrong part of town and angered a, a set of other rickshaw drivers, and I was shunted unceremoniously out of my rickshaw by a car which hit the rickshaw, and I flew through the air, stuck, got my legs stuck in, in the wheel of the rickshaw in front and smashed the back of my head open and ended up in an Indian A&E, a hospital A&E, which is not a place you want to be at any time. And while I was there, in fact, a man came in carrying his own hand, uh, an image I, I shouldn't forget. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I couldn't pay after that. I ended up, I ended up sitting on the sidelines. So there, that's my dramatic India story for you. I can see where you're getting some of your dramatic scenes from now. You're just pulling out life experiences here. Exactly. It's all life experiences. Obviously, the top cricketers now spend a lot of time in India, not not just because of international tours, but because of the IPL. And I loved it, absolutely loved it, and I particularly loved Delhi. And I, I couldn't even really tell you why. I just loved I loved the feeling of it and the smells and the sights. And and uh, when we were scouting uh, for Skyfall in Mumbai, I made sure to go to an IPL game. It was the sort of early days of IPL. It was earlier days of IPL, and um, Sachin was playing, and the place was absolutely. It was deafening. I mean, it was incredible. And I took... Couldn't hear yourself think. Uh, yeah. And I took our American production designer, Dennis Gassner, who uh, who I think had the image of cricket as, you know, a sort of quiet, you know, game played on the village green with a cup of tea. And I said, you know, he said, oh, why would I want to go see a game of cricket, you know? And I took him in there and he was absolutely blown away. You know, it was an extraordinary event. And so that that's a that's a good memory for me. I went to see, I was in India and I watched a game like in, in Nagpur and they would let the the gates would be open the day before the game. So the, the crowds attending a practice session was extraordinary. So Sachin Tendulkar, he couldn't really have a sort of quiet net or MS Dhoni. There was just, there was like two full stands behind their nets. Absolutely extraordinary. It'd be like... It would be like letting any any old person into a rehearsal room, Sam. I mean, I thought it was completely unacceptable. But the funny thing is, I I used to go, I used to turf up to Lords when I was a kid to watch the Test match, and I would go early because people would still be in the nets and the nursery ground. And and in those days, obviously, it was there was no indoor school. The indoor school was built, and I can't remember when. But I mean, I'm talking about late seventies, early eighties. I would I would go as a kid, and um, and there was nobody watching the nets, and I saw you know. Michael Holding, bowling at close range, you know, and um, uh, but just because I was standing at the nets. So I, I don't know why, if you're a serious cricket fan, you wouldn't want to watch them because, of course, you do get much closer and 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 the sense of, you know, the speed of, of a genuine quick um, is so much more <laughs> exciting when you're really that close. So, Did you not think, I want to get in there? Not with Michael Holding, strangely enough. No, I didn't fancy that at all. <laughs> uh, I mean, I... You know, I try and explain now, you know, I, I, and I sound like such an old duffer, which I am, but I do try and explain to people the significant difference of, you know, I play cricket to a, you know, a reasonable standard and I still play, but I I, I would have played to a higher standard with, with, with the correct headgear. But in those days, these guys faced Michael Holding without any helmet. And <laughs> the idea of actually standing down the end, you know, 22 yards away from that was was more than I could conceive of. Marcus offered to bowl at me. No, no, Miles, I'm not bowling at you. We've discussed that. <laughs> People that talk about, that I know that have played with you, Sam, say that you are seriously good. Would, would you, could you bear to face Mark Wood? I mean, where, you'd, be, you'd be wearing a helmet. 
We might make him wear a helmet as well as a kind of handicap system. I, I would love to. Now I've, I'm less concerned. I mean, listen, you know, I'm in my mid-50s and my reactions are not up to facing Mark Wood, trust me. But but then I would have absolutely loved it if I'd been able to wear a helmet. But, I mean, I, you know, I, I remember facing... So, I, you know, I played Oxfordshire youth cricket all the way through to sort of under-21s. And, and when I was about 17, we turfed up to play Gloucestershire. And there was this young lad... David Lawrence, you know, Sid Lawrence. And he was playing under 18, you know, under 19s cricket. And he was age 15. I don't think his voice had even broken. And he was running in from the sight screen, you know. I mean, he was terrible. And he was, f- he, he physically, he was fully grown, <laughs> right? But he still had a, and second ball, he bowled me a beamer. I mean, he was unbelievably quick, but he couldn't control it yet. He was still, you know, just raw pace. And as it sort of it flashed past me, and I, I barely moved, and he, he he came down the track and he said, "Sorry, mate," like that, and swept it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, I was just utterly terrified, you know. So I I think that that kind of level of you know when you really have been down the end, you know, and you you know I, I you've had Sid Lawrence or Sylvester Clark, and the ball just appears to do, it, it, he, they, their arm comes over and it fundamentally it just disappears. You know what I mean? And the next thing you know, it's past your nose. It, it, the idea of facing them without protection is, is, is too much, but no, I, I, I find that the better standard of cricket you play, the, you know, the better you, you play. I mean, you, you do, you know, test yourself a little bit. I remember doing an England schoolboys trial when I was about, so I was 18. I was just leaving school and we was down, we were down in Eastbourne. We played a two day game, and John Stevenson was opening the batting, who ended up playing for years for Essex, opening with, with Graham Gooch and played a test or two for England. And then ended up being, I think, uh, heading the MCC. Yeah, he still still does that, I think. Does he? Well, he's, a, he, I mean, I've met him subsequently in various, you know, events and he's a delightful man. And uh, anyway, he came in. I've actually told him this when I've seen him recently. He came in after getting naught and uh, and he, and I was sitting there padding up and he, he uh, took off his, kit and put on his tracksuit and I said where are you going he said I'm going for a run I said what are you doing that for <laughs> he said well I've got out for no I need to do something and I was like that's why I'm never going to be a professional cricketer because when I get out for no I think okay well I can read the paper at least you know what I mean? <laughs> maybe maybe sit and have a half on the on the boundary and have a gossip with people but I've never had that mindset of like oh dear you know and it, and you know not by accident second innings comes along Steve-O gets 100, you know. Um, he took it seriously, and I, I didn't really. And, and I think there was, there was always that part of me that just thought, you're a bit of a chancer. And that, there's this sort of, well, I don't know if it is a myth, about the idea that the Brearley's The Art of Captaincy has become this sort of, that you, you say that's the only book that people should read about um, directing. Um, is, is, that, is there truth in that? I mean, is it a, is it a companion of yours? It, it would totally. I mean, I love the book. But I think that, you know, Brearley's books... On uh, mass, you know, he's a very, very fine writer, and I think that the three books that he wrote about the Ashes series that he skippered, in some ways, are even better than the Art of Captaincy. He wrote about the, you know, the seventy-seven series, the seventy-eight, seventy-nine series, and then, of course, the the Botham's Ashes, and and uh, all those books are full of insights and stuff. I mean, I, I think that it, they're, book, they're books about reading people and understanding how to make a team out of a group of disparate people, disparate characters. And in those days, you know, whether that's one's one romanticizes it, but they were very disparate. You know, you have boycott on one side and both of them on the other. You've got Gower, you've got Randall. I mean, 
there are a bunch of eccentrics, you know what I mean? And really, I, I mean, you know, and, and uh, Phil Edmonds, you know, uh, Bob Willis, et cetera, et cetera. And everyone, when you mention them, you think, well, there's a character, you know, and they were all very, very distinct. And he managed to somehow unify them into this team. And I do think a lot about that, particularly with theatre, but also with movies. And what I love about Braley and I love about the books is that he takes what he does very seriously, but he doesn't take himself that seriously. And I think that's a great art in, in any form of life, whether it's sport or I think to be able to find the joy in what you're doing. Uh, Mark obviously would be a good example of that. And yet take the, take what you're doing seriously at the same time. And, and um, I think that is something that's embodied by Braley, who really, for me, was the first time I'd sort of seen a professional sportsman who had actually also had another career that he cared, appeared to care about, and obviously does, just as much as playing cricket, which is that he was a trained psychoanalyst, you know, and he had left the game, you know, for several years in the early 70s to, to go and study therapy and then come back as a professional player, skippered Middlesex, learned the hard way. And then in his mid-30s, an odd time to become an England cricketer, suddenly he was on a tour to India and then he was captain England. So he just was a very odd and interesting mixture of things. And he had a kind of observational distance, a kind of objectivity about the game. Which made me think made me think of directing, which is sort of what directing is. You need to be both part of it and somehow outside it. You need to be with the actors and somehow separate from them. And it reminds me a bit of Warren Morgan that the way you the way you were speaking there, Bob Braley, and the way that he like manages people in different teams, different characters within the team. And Morgan's very much like that. Obviously, when you when I think of the World Cup, I think of all the backgrounds and different backgrounds we came from and. Even just the backgrounds in England, never mind lads coming from the Caribbean or, you know, South Africa or Zimbabwe. And then we all come together for this big moment. And I think he sort of, to use the word direct, and I think he directed everybody in that one direction with the same goal. Um, so if um, if Mogi goes down tomorrow, I'm assuming that you're in, Sam. That's it. You're directing from the field. I did a vodcast with 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 Owen Morgan and, and Mike Atherton and Rob Key. And... I was very struck by exactly what you say, that he is very, he's such a cool customer, but he also clearly in the middle of that World Cup where it was all going absolutely insane, he said he had the temerity and in the kind of poise to say, remember this, this is going to, this is, this is, you know, and, and enjoy it. Somehow he managed to, and, you know, that is an, an extraordinary team that, that, you know, has so many different cultures, you know, and yet somehow we're so we're so bound up together as a unit. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, in a way, it's the sort of um, the dream of 30 years ago, you know, is Morgan. And he's, a, you know, I mean, you don't need me to tell you from the outside. He's obviously a brilliant leader, you know, and uh, has a kind of ease about him that is very difficult to achieve. And I, I was actually joking that Coley is like the sort of Quentin Tarantino of cricket captains. You know, Quentin, if you watch him, you know, he's he's his own best audience. You know, he's obviously loving everything that he's doing. He's loving what's coming out. He's he's living every breath. But but uh, I'm I direct more like Owen Morgan. You know, you probably wouldn't be able to tell what I thought by looking at me, you know, uh, because uh, whether I'm happy or not, I, I'm sort of probably playing my cards quite close to my chest because that that's what I think my job is whereas Coley is very you know readable as is Quentin so yeah there are different kinds of captain aren't there unless you're directing the Bond film in Moscow and there's a helicopter stuntman yes well done you've done your research 
It wasn't. It wasn't Moscow. It was Mexico City. Mexico. That's it. There was. A, you're absolutely right. There was a. There was a. <laughs> there was a. A completely insane helicopter stuntman. Basically, he wasn't trained as a film stunt pilot, which is a very specific thing. He was. In, he was a Red Bull stunt pilot who did air shows, and he. We saw this video. <laughs> And this is what happens when you're making a bomb movie. You're, you're reaching all the time for the, for, you know, for cool ideas for action sequences, which don't always emerge. How can I put this organically out of the script? <laughs> you're, you're thinking, well, we've got the story, but we do need, you know, you need the, the action. And someone showed me. I think it was Alex Witt, who was the uh, who was my second unit director, showed me a YouTube clip of these Red Bull stunt pilots, helicopter stunt pilots, doing this unbelievable stuff where they. They, they go up almost vertically and then they, they go onto their back, as it were, and they drop like a stone and then they somehow retrieve the helicopter. And I just thought it was unbelievable, this, this, this stunt work. So I, I literally did one of those, you know, Hollywood cliches of, you know, find me that man. <laughs> who was that guy who wrote, get me him, we need him, you know. And, and sure enough, we, you know, so be careful what you wish for is the moral because he did turn up and, um, you know, improved that what I suspected and probably you would suspect, which is that you have to be a complete nutcase to stunt pilot helicopters because helicopters of all the vehicles, I think, and I, I mean, I would really think twice, even on a calm day about getting in a helicopter now because there are just too many moving parts. And this guy, you know, he just, he got overexcited on the day. There was a lot of people in the, in the square, the Zocalo, you know, only just some priceless Aztec ruins. And, uh, you know, they'd closed down the whole of Mexico City for us. And he flew <laughs> inches, and I'm talking inches from the ground. It was, and I leapt out of my tent. I had about eight cameras on him. And and I, I don't yell often on movie set, but I, I said, bring him down. We can't, that's too dangerous. You know, he was really... You turned full Vera Cooley. Is that what you're saying? You turned Vera Cooley. <laughs> I did. I turned Vera, I did full Verat. You know, questioning the umpire's decisions, everything. <laughs> uh, I probably even got past. I'm not sure Vera ever does a a, a, a hairdryer. Full Alec Ferguson, but that was me. <laughs> who who do you think is the most dangerous actor you've worked with? Dangerous in what way, Miles? I would say. I mean, as as dangerous as a plummeting helicopter in terms of in terms of morale for the group. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wouldn't name actors who who who. Um, here, here's the thing. There are dangerous actors whose danger is excitement and who deal in think, surprise and risk and, and, and um, thrill on stage. And that can be a wonderful thing. You know, so, and you, know, you, you don't have to look much further than Daniel Craig for somebody who actually does push the envelope. He, he, you know, he goes out on a limb, less so probably these days. He's in his mid-50s almost. But you know, when I was working with him on Skyfall, you know, he was standing on that train you know, hundreds of feet above I mean, it was it was scary, you know. We're connected by a tiny cable. I mean, he he did the stunts himself a lot of the time, and um, and has the injuries to prove it. The, the the kind of does he fall over when he bowls though? <laughs> yeah, he's never. He did actually bowl once for me. In, we, we, I put him in his first big Hollywood movie, a movie I did called Road to Perdition, which was we shot in Chicago in in, in around two thousand and one, and. Um, and he, he's not a good cricketer. He would be the first to admit, you know, I tried him out. No, just don't. It's embarrassing. But um, kind of, this is interesting. This, this has a bearing on, 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 you know, teamwork and all that kind of stuff, which is 
the kind of dangerous actor I don't like is is the actor who who torpedoes other people's performances. And and I, I, I there aren't many of them, but they are out there. And um, I try to avoid them on the whole. Part of directing, I think, is and and let's say you're the expert here, but that that thing about giving people confidence and that that ability to to basically just with words to make people feel they can do do something. Do you know what I mean? Where where does that come from? And is that instinctive to you or is it i mean is it learnt behavior there's two very different things you're talking about two very different things what one is the, the nurturing of the individual which is a different thing and that has to be you have to be alert to that moment to moment because of course everyone has a base level of confidence to be able to be playing for england or you know acting in a big movie in the first place so you're not questioning that but it doesn't matter how good you are how confident you are how skilled uh, moment to moment, every single person needs needs nurturing and needs and needs reassurance. And at times, you know, they they slide. And I think that the speech you give to a team is entirely different because, and that is learned a little bit and and confidence, and uh, depends on a core belief, which I think you know you can't fake. Owen Morgan believed by the time you got to the World Cup final, you were the best team in the world, and you were. You, you deserve to win a World Cup final, so you won it, and. He never shaped, He was never shaken for that belief. Even when you had to win all two or three, whatever it was, to get to the semi-final, there was a general feeling that you were going to do it. And I, I couldn't exactly describe why. You, you know this better than anyone, Mark, right? So you're in a dressing room and you've got 11 energies all sitting there. You've got the smart, smart Alec. You've got the swanee in the corner. He thinks, you know, he's, he thinks he's Lenny Bruce, but in fact, he's David Brent, right? And <laughs> sorry, Swanee, but... It's just the truth, right? <laughs> 200, 255 wickets, but at the same time, yes. I'm talking about the way they are in that group. That's totally different, right? Because you're super, you got, when Swan was on the pitch, he was super, super competitive. That's a great attacking spinner. Absolute belief, hor, you know, fury when someone missed field, all of that stuff, right? You can deal with that because he's a competitor and he wanted to win. But in that room, it's a different, energy and that's what people don't understand so you know that room that had matt Pryor, kp ian bell all very very different needing different things you have to be a very powerful personality to be able to unify that room and michael vaughan was i mean although he didn't have those personalities pulling in the opposite directions you know and he had a, a, a in duncan you know fletcher he had a much more benign figure than than Andy Flower, and then the, the Alistair Cook dressing room was not, and the and the Strauss dressing room was in between the two. I I always thought Nasser Hussain was amazing at that in terms of the disparate nature of his team. You know, like the Caddick. I'm sure it's overstated the sort of Caddick Goff thing, but the fact that he could get them to work well. I mean, that's similar to you getting two people that absolutely sort of despise each other to play convincing lovers or, or whatever it is. I don't. I mean, I don't know if that's how you'd cast it, but I mean, just that thing of getting disparate people together seems so key. If you're watching, say, cricket going badly and you're seeing a, wa- a bowler walking forlornly back to his mark, do you sort of think, oh, I wish I was at mid-off right now. I wish I wish the only voice he could hear was mine. This is what I'd say. Can you watch? Very rarely happens, but say if Mark was, I don't know, having a difficult spell or whatever in the heat, could you think, I'd love to sell him? No, I, I don't think I could. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I, I have ceased to be... I, I was... I, I learned how to lead a disparate group of people by being a cricket captain. End of story. I did, I, I captained cricket games long before 
I directed any plays or, you know, so I, I, and I captained club teams that had, you know, I was, so I was 18 and I had a 50 year old, you know, off break bowler and a, and a 35 year old, you know what I mean? There were different ages. So I, I learned how to impose authority without being overly strict, uh, um, but to, 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 you know, to lead people in different ways, people who were, you know, thought I was a bit of a jumped up tit and, you know, I had to kind of manage that energy. And then I, people who were like, you know, excited because I would, you know, change the feel every two balls <laughs> because I was, you know, constantly trying to get a wicket and I thought I was Mike Braley, you know, so, but, so, so there's all that, but now weird, a weird thing has happened to me. You know, I play this, I play cricket for the Oxfordshire over fifties now, you know, um, I, I was for a brief time, their youth policy, Miles. I, 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 I was, <laughs> now I fear I'm, I'm solidly into my mid fifties. I'm no longer the youth policy anymore. I'm just, you know, and, and I, I, uh, I don't skip at that team. And my friend, my school, old school friend, Ross, who played for Oxfordshire when, you know, I was playing for Oxfordshire youth, you know, 30 years ago, skippers it. And he went off. We played against Surrey over fifties and, and he went off and I had to skipper it. And I was absolutely awful. I was awful. I was quite terrible because I, I just, cricket for me is just pleasure now. And I don't think about it strategically in the way that I used to. And I was very aware that to be a good captain, you have to really want it. You have to want to be. You have to feel it's an art in and of itself. Root is unusual, I think, which is, I felt like that when he became captain, when he was, when he was you know, made captain. I thought, well, he's the obvious candidate, but does he really want it? And he has transformed himself. I mean, put the last three tests to one side. I mean, in really difficult conditions and all of that sort of stuff. But he has transformed himself into a very active captain who really does appear to want it now and is different and a much better skipper for, uh, as a consequence. And, and I think, obviously, there's a sort of maturity that happens with a, with a captain. Cook got better. They all get better. Strauss got better. But there are, there are those who want it right from the beginning and, and you can sense it. So I felt that Michael Vaughan, the moment he became England Creek captain, he wanted it. And he wanted to make the captain. He, he had an idea, had an image of the team he wanted. And I felt that about Owen Morgan. He had a, you know, this is the one day team we have now. It cannot operate like this anymore. That team over there, the New Zealanders, that's how we should be playing. I, I'm going to make us into that or, or better. And he did. You know, this is a team. I mean, I have to say, I have to say this out loud in order to to kind of comprehend it. That scored four hundred and eighty in a fifty-over game. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. Four. I mean, you and me, Mark. Well, me certainly. You know, I mean, you know, there was a John Player League in nineteen seventy-eight. Forty overs on a Sunday afternoon. If a team got two hundred, you know, people were like, "Oh, blimey, that's a <laughs> <laughs> you've ruined the game for everybody." <laughs> <laughs> 480 are you kidding me that's that's you know it's almost you know it's it's almost 10 and over i mean it's just i remember we we scored 363 for seven off 60 overs early 90s i think and to me that seemed absolutely superhuman yeah and you think that that's one of those records now that will stand forever you know it was not not so long after we'd lost the world cup final i thought well that that's it then that's one of those ones that'll be there that's the you know, like the first four minute mile or whatever. That is an amazing feat that, you know, Owen Morgan came in and he made that team, you know, and and you still feel it. You feel like, okay, well, that was the test series, but I think we're still the best one day team, you know, and uh, it, it'll be interesting what happens, you know. So uh, uh, it's exciting when you see someone who's really got a vision of what, what the team could be and, and has the wherewithal 
and the status and the power to actually do it. I do think he's extraordinary. And uh, he also listens to this. So, um, you know, I think <laughs> it's... <laughs> um, when, when we... Um, hello, Owen, big fan. Um, when, when we came onto this call, Mark had just been at a what he called a fast bowlers meeting. And I'm very, I'm very interested in this, Mark, is because I want to know: Are any of the grown-ups there? Yeah, all of the all of the grown-ups are there. Everybody has an input. The analyst, the head coach, the bowling coach, Paul Collingwood, the assistant coach, the spin bowling coach, uh, the captain, the wicketkeeper, and then all of the bowlers. So it's a it's a pretty big meeting. If you have any input on a certain guy, anything different, or anything you've seen from your experiences or past experiences, or um, obviously a lot of players play against each other now. IBLs, like was mentioned before. Um, all these world competitions and pretty good experience. And the analyst has the data. So you're pretty matching, trying to match gut feel with the stats. And although things might change on the day because of the conditions, the wicket, anything like that, you have a, a plan A and a plan B. There's loads of factors, really. So how does a meeting like that, Sam, say, marry up with the idea of a, of a, a leadership pyramid? I mean, you've got to get ideas from people, but at the end, does someone have to say it's this way? Yeah, well, no, I mean, I think that, that you know, obviously the thing that's changed the game in the last 10 to 15 years is data and the way that data has been processed and the speed at which you can get information about other players. But you're also talking about two different kinds of cricket. Uh, you're talking about a T20 and you have, you know, it seems ridiculous on one level that Mark has 24 balls. That's it. That's all he's got, you know. What are you going to do with your 24 balls? Um and uh, what I'm talking about is Test cricket, which is a do- which is a different thing entirely. Where where someone you know, uh, a Don Bess or a Jack Leach has to bowl literally all day. I mean, I mean, all the the most best part of two and a half sessions, and that's a whole other thing. You know, the level of psychological strength required there sometimes is better looked after by quiet word here and adjustment there. I think going in, you you, you know, you can't you haven't got six balls and a T twenty to you know. <laughs> To, to line them up, you know, <laughs> so it's like it's it's literally a free throw. It's every literally every ball counts because, like you say, you've only got twenty four. So every ball counts. It's there's so much onus on, you know, if you've been hit for six, it doesn't matter because the next ball, if that's a dot ball, then that counts in your favour. And also the the leadership chat. So the onus at all times for field placements or what you're going to bowl, the majority of the time lies with the bowler because they get a good feel. They know what they're going to do. It's a conversation with the captain he sees it like this you see it like that right this is the plan now commit to that plan and execute come back to the next ball what did you think no i didn't get it right but the plan was good right execute it no i didn't like the plan let's change the plan from a yorker to a white slower ball right let's set the field right i'm happy with that let's go with that so it's a constant chat but you're always under that sort of as if you're playing um, fast chess. So do you think just making the decision and committing to it in a way matters more than than the deliberative process? And for instance, in my own life, we're, we're choosing paint colours at the moment. And I said to Rachel earlier, <laughs> do you know what? If we just choose it and do it, I'm sure we'll be happy. And the important bit is it, the decision we make isn't the important bit. It's making the decision. There speaks a man who doesn't want to look at paint colours. <laughs> it was me. It you haven't been flown 5,000 miles <laughs> to look at swatches. Yeah. No, that's not happening. Totally 
understand. The, the, the funny thing about that is, we talk about leadership pyramid. Miles, you're nowhere near the top of that decision. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I don't need to be agreed with. I just need to be heard. That's. that's <laughs> but I think I think fascinating in what you're saying, Mark, about the speed at which you have to make those decisions, because that is obviously. You know, you do have to make a significant amount of decisions very quickly. It isn't just random, but you have to make them very fast. I mean, but I, I think that, you know, I was very struck, you know, talking about the, the evolution of Owen Morgan as a captain. I was very struck. You look back now at the T20 final, you know, with, with the, the Carlos Brathwaite, you know, the, the, the last over, the Ben Stokes over. And I think that he as a captain would operate differently now. I think he would slow the game down. I think he would say, don't, okay, hang on, whoop, stop. You know, are you trying to bowl the leg, the leg stump Yorker? Maybe we should be thinking about a wide Yorker outside the off stump barrier. I, to- I totally agree. I totally agree. He would change the rhythm of the game. So it's not, but it's not always about slowing it down. It's about changing the rhythm. And that, that sometimes is where, the way you get the best out of people. You, you've got to shock them out of the, the, their normal response. And that, that's true for performers and people working for you as a director as well is that sometimes people get stuck in a rut and you have to you have to just move the goalpost just quickly and say, right, I'll change the plan. Like you say, changing the rhythm. And I'm sure Morgie has actually said this before, that he, he would have took a bit of maybe pressure off Stokes. He slowed it down, um, which he, he does really well. And he's always done that to me if, if I've been hit for a couple of sixes or a couple of fours. It's like, look, no, no worries. Um, he's very level. He doesn't get too high or too low. So it's very level. Um, what are you thinking about next ball? He sort of takes your mind away from what's gone on. And unfortunately for Stokes, he's in the most pressurised situation there. And actually, if you look for a couple of years on, when we get to the 50 of our World Cup final, he's learned from that pressurised bit and totally flipped it on the other way. And he's come out as our national hero sort of thing. So not just Morgie, but Stokes, he's also learned from that situation as well. Isn't it amazing the way Morgan's changed, though, in all this time then, becoming and developing as a captain, the way the way his batting has changed so much? He's just sort of changed with the game and is this kind of just range hitter. On, on top of everything that he achieves, having this sort of really level of captaincy skill, on top of that, you've got this man coming in at five or six that really can six hit completely at will. It's astonishing. Well, he knows knows his game now as he's matured as a player, as I'm sure even actors or anything where they get to know themselves better, what works for them, what doesn't work. And he's, Mogi knows his game inside out now. He's, he's very mature. Obviously, you mentioned that he played for Middlesex. I remember so clear there was a game at the Riverside against New Zealand early on, just as the new team had come together. It was one of my first games. He got caught on the line when we were like 22 or 3. And normally everyone would go, what's he done that for just knock it around but he was like no this is the way we're going to play if you think you can take someone down take him down and he got caught in the line and the dressing room just was fine with it because that's the way that we were going to go about it didn't matter what the commentators the TV the public thought this is the way we're going to win games for cricket for with for England um, and it, it come together it eventually at Lords but uh, Miles you've been to Lords haven't you I'm sure even Sam's played at Lords that makes two have played at Lords Miles are you You've been at Lords, or 
I've played, um, I have played Lords, yeah. I've got concussed at Lords. You've got the medal, haven't you, from the World Cup? I'm not sure you were there with us. That's right, yeah. They did a special medal for people that played extortionate amounts to watch the World Cup final. Um, I'm sure, Sam, you've played at Lords, haven't you? I have played at Lords, yeah. You must have played on the nursery ground or on the main pitch. On, on both, but I played on the main pitch a couple of times, yeah. I, I, we, my village team, Shipton under Witchwood, got to the final of the village knockout in 97. And... Uh, the irony for me was that the first I had a, uh, I was at school um, in London until I was 11. And one of my friends there, just before we picked up and moved, said, oh, you've got to come to Lords. I've never been, I've never seen a cricket match of any sort, let alone on a, on a and the match we where he took me to was the village final of all things. You know, it's the sort of traditional end of August, you know, bank holiday sort of spot. And, uh, and, and I ended up playing, playing that very game. But weirdly, it was one of the strangest days of my life, actually. It was the day that Diana died. So it was the 31st of August, 97. And she died the night before. And I hadn't watched the news or anything. And I turned up to the, the team. I lived locally. So I just walked to the ground with my care over my shoulder over Primrose Hill. And uh, the team was staying at the hotel. And they, uh, when I got into the lobby, they were all clustered around this TV set. And that's how I found out. And I think if it had been a day later, they would have cancelled the game or postponed it. But it was in that very early stage, we didn't quite know what to do, you know. And it was a very strange, overcast day. And um, we played and we lost. And uh, But it, it just felt like, obviously, for obvious reasons, it cast a pall over the whole thing. It was just a very, it was just the wrong atmosphere to play. And it, it, we, we'd been so excited. I mean, a great summer. We won all our games, obviously, to get there. So that was a strange event. Um, and then I played a couple of times for, for the Taverners over the years. They're sort of... Um, you know, eight aside or six aside. I think my team was skippered by John Embury. I can say to you that I have hit a six into the mound stand and the ball was retrieved by my then nine-year-old son. However, what I, what I would try and avoid saying is the fact that the distance between, the, you know, the, the square and, and the, the mound stand was about 30 yards. Absolutely not. <laughs> you hit a six in the mound stand, it counts. Absolutely. And I was determined to do it because he was sat in the mound stand with my dad. And I thought, now is the moment. And I just need to clear that. And I did. I was, I was trying for a moment. He went, he went and found the ball, Joe, my son, and he threw it back in. And that, I thought, that's it, really. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, I think we have just got time for um, Mark Wood's super over. Have you, got, have you ready for this, Mark? Is there a time, is there a time limit? Nine, nine, 90 seconds. Or, or the moment at which you realise this is beneath you. Uh, whichever, whichever comes soonest. <laughs> <laughs> I have it in order, I'm ready. Okay, on your marks, get set, go. Sam Mendes, turning pitch or green top? Oh, turning pitch. Your favourite TV dog? <laughs> I can't even think of a TV dog. Oh, Lassie, I mean... Uh, last photo you took? Uh, my daughter dressed in some new pyjamas. Your favourite cricket ground? Lords. If a duck flew at you, would you duck or fight back? I'd hit it with my bat. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Steam room or sauna? Steam room. <laughs> That's an utterly bizarre question. But, but nevertheless noted. Yep. Favourite player as a child? Um, probably David Gower. Heaviest thing you've ever dropped on your foot? <laughs> God, I, I've been severely injured by a cricket ball and I have a metal plate in my foot to prove it. Nice. Uh, 
What's the worst thing you've been bitten by? A dog. Name three PSL teams. There's one that begins with Q. What are they called? Quasars or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know the others. It's just that I could, yeah. Um, odd names. Miles is stealing apples from your garden. What do you shout at him? Fuck off. <laughs> Gosh, that un- unnecessarily harsh. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Sam, thank you very much indeed for um, putting yourself through this. <laughs> it was a real pleasure. That was a real pleasure. I'm so pleased. That- Sam, I actually, I actually think that is a team. The obviously we've been in bubbles and stuff now, but the last time we went to the cinema as a team was to watch 1917 in South Africa. That was the last, the last movie we went to watch. Did you get the information from that? Uh, from that I passed on through Atherton that I had that many of the soldiers in that movie were named after members of the England cricket team. Yes, uh, Cook, Butler, and, and Stokes. I mean, there was no wood miles. I mean, I'm, I'm not bitter about it at all. There was a Geordie in the back of the truck as well. I couldn't believe I was made for that role. <laughs> <laughs> Glorious. It is so nice to have you on, Sam. Uh, we're very grateful uh, for you. Uh, for, for real time. pleasure. That was a tr- total treat. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Miles, how good was that? Uh, that was excellent. I mean, he's an incredible guy, isn't he? And he but also... The depth at which, when he's talking about cricket, he's he's really talking about cricket, isn't he? He's not making, as I do, a series of pointless remarks. I mean, he really, you know, he 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 is deeply immersed in the game. I could see the link quite a bit with uh, obviously talking about equipment with directing and captaincy and stuff. I thought that was quite interesting. Well, it wasn't um, wasn't sitting on the fence either, which which again was good as well. And that's the thing, like they say about directing, you you need to be able to answer the questions you're asked. That's kind of. The, uh, that's the thing about it. So you have it's. Uh, it's not a kind of wow. You know, it's just do it the way you want to do it. I guess. I mean, why don't you attack some of them and defend the others? You know, you've got to just really know about it. Also, though, that that sort of thing where someone like that says, "Oh yeah, when I did like Road to Perdition or whatever," you think anything that you've seen in the cinema has a sort of ludicrous excitement attached to it. I remember going to see American Beauty and really, really needing the toilet for about two hours. Really needing the toilet. And I thought, it's such a good film. I just couldn't. I was like, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm just going to keep watching. And there's a bit where I think he's Chris Cooper bursts into the son's bedroom and, goes and shouts, I need a urine sample really aggressively. I thought, I've got to go now. So, I, yeah, I don't know what happens in the next seven minutes of the film. I felt every time you mentioned a great movie, I had to put my teeth back in my mouth because all I ended up doing was going... <laughs> and being really intimidated by the fact that they're fantastic movies. Miles, you didn't give me any time, though. I think it would have been great to ask him who the next James Bond would have been, and I'm sure your name would have been top of that list. <laughs> well, it would have been very awkward for him, of course, because we've we've had to sign lots of non-disclosure agreements on that very subject, so he'd, he'd probably have said, who knows? I'm sure it would be interesting. No, I, um, yes, I, I, I'd be surprised if, it, if I'm on the list. I doubt it's a short list. Um, but I, no, I'm more of a sort of. I would rather play Q, but they've given it to such a young actor these days. It'll never, I'll never get a chance. And M, of course, is Ed Smith. M would be <laughs> Ed Smith. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, pissy galore, pissy pissy galore. I think that would be if they got really lazy. If they got really lazy, what are we going to call them this time? I don't know, pissy galore. 
Mate, you've got t- you've, you've got American Beauty toilet on the brain, pissy below. Uh, but no, I got nervous and excited during that. I people I I know that have played with him say he's really good. He's a re- like seriously seriously good cricketer. But he was he was described, I think, um, in the wisdom as a. Uh, I've written it down. Yeah, he was described as a brilliant schoolboy cricketer. Never, I, I never got that. I, I just get Mark Woods falling over again. <laughs> if you're playing England, like, or even just trialing England under 18s, England schoolboys or whatever, that's not nothing, is it? Uh, and of course, nice him to single out uh, David Gower there, an alumnus of uh, Middle Please Umpire, and uh, he made the odd reference to Michael Atherton. So for me, not not a wasted hour. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed uh, for listening to this episode. Thank you to our guest, uh, Sir Sam Mendes, director, cricketer, conversationalist, bon viveur. Uh, Goodbye from me, Miles. And goodbye from me, Mark. Oh, should be taken and is taken. Brilliant from Mark Wood. What a spell this has been. For all the latest cricket betting markets, in-play odds and promotions, visit williamhill.com or download the free app. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Sports Social Podcast Network.